Would you stand with me all over this place? I uh, last night I flew in. I was in Oklahoma uh, yesterday morning preaching at the youth convention, and there is nothing like watching about twelve hundred kids fall on their face before Jesus. And then one of the cool parts was um, watching about four to five hundred of those twelve hundred come forward because they recognize that there's a full time call of God on their life. And uh, it was fun yesterday, but I came in last night, and as I was coming in, I was just praying about this morning. And I really feel like God's got a specific word for you in this house. I, wanna, I, I, I want to do something. I want you to close your eyes with me just all over this place, because uh, until we give God permission to move, he, he cannot move in our lives. And so we're not here to just hear a good word. We're not here. Those, that song, uh, those songs that we sang earlier were amazing, but songs aren't ultimately going to change our lives either. It's going to be when we allow God full access. And so, Father, we come before you right now. God, and we say that you, we ask you to invade every part of our being, our emotions, our thoughts, our creativity, our, our marriages, our homes, our workplace, our schools. God, we want you to be a part of everything. And in order for you to be a part of everything that we do, you have to be a part of everything that we are. And so, Holy Spirit, I just ask right now that you would begin to consume us from the top of our head to the bottom soles of our feet. And God, we worship you. Can you just take 15 seconds, maybe 30 seconds at the most, and just begin to speak outside of your head? Can you just begin to pray with me? Can you just begin to worship right where you're at? Father, I thank you that worship is, is demonstrative. It's, it's where we can begin to put our, our, our action, our, our words, our feelings, our emotions, our desires, our love, our passion to action. And Father, we just worship you all over this room. Lord, we want to encounter. We want a face-to-face encounter with you. Lord, we don't want to just talk about you. We don't want to talk about you as if you retired. We don't want to reti- we don't want to talk about you as if you don't exist anymore. But Father, we want to talk with you today. And we want you to talk with us. So Father, have your way. If you're ready to hear a word from God, would you just raise both hands to heaven and get ready to pray a very dangerous prayer with me? Come on, all over this place with your hands up towards heaven. Say this with me if you're ready to hear from Jesus. Say Jesus. Today is my day. Speak to me. And transform me by your word. Give me eyes to see and ears to hear and a heart and a mind that's ready, that's willing, and that's able to believe and receive every word that you would speak into our existence. We give you full permission and access to do what only you can do. Jesus, have your way. In your precious name we pray. Amen. You may be seated in heavenly places. I will say one of the things that really excites me, and this is going to sound crazy to you, and uh, Pastor, we may need to strike the beginning part of this just for for safety. Um, I know I'm going to be preaching on Speed the Light tonight, and it's how we fund... uh, um, our missionaries with equipment and stuff, different things that they need. But one of the things that we don't understand, we, we live in a world, and I want to get real, real quick. Um, out of probably the four to 500 kids that came forward, there was such a sovereignty that began to fall on that, in, that, in that arena. 
and kids are weeping. Now, now adults, I want you to capture this thought. I would be willing to say probably a third of them will die for their faith. It's not going to be that they're just going to fill platforms. It's not going to be that they're, they're, they're probably going to go to countries and probably lose their lives for the gospel. Right now, we have 14 between, they're, they're between the ages of 19 and 23 years old. 14 missionaries that have committed their lives to Jesus that have memorized the Gospels, the four Gospels in four different languages. And they're standing at the borders of Syria waiting for the borders to open up so that they can go into places like Syria, Iraq, and they can go preach the Gospel to not, not just normal people, but to terrorists. They feel like they're called to terrorists to reach the Gospel. And they believe that they will probably die. The reason they, they memorize the Gospels in four different languages is because they're from different countries. And uh, th- that they, probably, they can't bring Bibles in. And so they know while they're being tortured, they're going to begin to quote the Scriptures to them. They're not going to begin to try to coerce them. They're not going to try to give them a track. They're not going to try to manipulate or talk them into it. They're just going to start quoting the Scriptures while they're being beaten. And they know that many of them will probably lose their tongues. And then at that moment, they realize that their eyes will speak louder than their, ever, their words or ever will. We live in a world that just recently, and I, I, I know it got serious all the moment, but do you realize the only ones that were killed in Oregon, it's not being publicized on CNN and Fox News, the only ones that were killed were Christians. We live in a land that we better understand what we believe and why we believe it. And it's not a war. Please hear me. When you give your life to Jesus, it's easy to die for him. It's hard to live for him, but it's easy to die for him if you've given your life to him. And so when I, when I stand in front of teenagers and when I stand in front of congregations, I want us to be prepared. I want us to understand that we live in a time like we never have before. And it's not a sorrowful time. It's not a heavy time. It's an exciting time. I believe that Paul, I believe David, I believe James and John, I believe any one of those men would die to live in the moments that we're living in. The opportunities. So I'm going to be teaching on evangelism. I'm seeing God work all over the place. Just recently, I'm, going to, I'm not going to show you techniques. I'm just going to give you some ideas. But uh, I just used one of the ideas... After the, uh, the convention on Friday night, we went to a Dave and Buster's. I don't know if you've ever familiar with Dave and Buster's. Dave and Buster's is like, they have like adult video games. When I say adult, it means like, uh, that just like baseball. It's not weird stuff, okay? So don't go there with me. Everybody's like, oh my God, oh my God. No, no, no. I'm talking like basketball and different things, but it's more themed around adults and you win tickets and you can buy. So instead of Chuck E. Cheese, you have Dave and Buster's. And so, but I was sitting there ordering and all of a sudden the Lord gave me a word for the waitress. And I just started talk, just talking to her. Just talking to her. And before, within about two minutes, she was weeping at the table. And afterwards, she came and sat down with us. And I got to pray with her. Um, and I want you to understand, it's, it really is that easy. Because let me explain something. When God's inside of you and he's wanting to minister to them, he knows everything that they're walking through. He knows everything about them. And so he'll whisper in your ear, and, and, or he'll whisper in your spirit to whisper out of your mouth into their ear. And so that's ultimately what we're going to be doing the next couple of days. And I pray that, that if there's something on your calendar that you would erase it, Because ultimately, we have got to get good at sharing our faith. Somebody told us about Jesus. And we have the the full responsibility 
to share our faith with everyone we come in contact with. The Assemblies of God just recently celebrated 100 years since their, found, their, their founding. And basically, let me give you a little history. In, 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 19, in 1914, there was, about, um, there was about, uh, about 300 people that had been filled with the Holy Spirit that began to gather. And they went to a place called Hot Springs, Arkansas. And they went into a 10-day time of prayer and just hearing God, putting their ears to the heartbeat of God and saying, God, what do you want us to do? We, we really feel like we're to, not, to be a part of something greater than just a denomination. We're to be a part of something greater than just a church. What should we do? And these three, 300 people came out with a mission of let's evangelize the entire world. Let's be missionally minded. Let's, send, let's, let's launch missionaries all over the world. But our ultimate goal is that we tell the entire world about Jesus so that they can know him. And so in 100 years, we've grown. So it's no longer 300 people. We have, we have over, over 300,000 churches across the globe. We, we have, we have, we have uh, millions, 68 million people that attend those churches on a regular basis. So it's grown quite a bit. But you also need to understand that that, that fails in comparison because 40% of the world's population, which is, is, is billions of people, have never even heard the gospel. And so, like never before, we need to tell the story of Jesus. And so, the Assemblies of God put their ear back to Jesus uh, uh, coming up to the 100-year celebration. And they heard God saying the same thing. And, and we, we kind of themed it. It's not a speed of light theme. It's, it's really a mandate that we believe that, that God has called us to do. And that is the human right. That in John, it talks about that, that God has given us the right to become sons and daughters. To become children of God. And so if it's every human's right, we, we believe that every human has the right to clean drinking water, that every human has the right to food and to freedom. But we believe that the greatest human right is to know Jesus. How many of you would agree with that, right? So if that's the greatest human right, then the greatest believer's responsibility is to make him known. Can you imagine? Now, please hear me. Can you imagine the look that you will get when you stand before him in heaven? Even though you make heaven because Jesus was your Lord, can you imagine the sorrowful look that you will receive because we will be judged by our actions? When you stand before him and say, I never told anybody about him. I I never told anybody about you, Jesus. Either that tells you, number one, you don't love people enough or you don't love him enough. Because you tell people about what you're proud of, right? If my bride was here, I would make sure that every one of you that came up and talked to me, I would introduce you to, to. And I love my bride with all my heart, but my love for her fails in comparison to my love for Jesus. And so it don't matter where I am, I introduce everybody I possibly can to him. And it's very simple. So you do not want to miss uh, tonight. We're going to be talking about Speed of Light. Uh, Monday and Tuesday, we're going to be doing some different things. And we are going to believe that God is going to not only grow his church, but he's going to begin to throw nets out. And you're going to start seeing people saved like you've never see, seen uh, or believed would. Amen? Say this with me. Say, Jesus uses... Human means, means, M-E-A-N-S, means. Jesus uses human means. Say, Jesus uses human means to reach and rescue human beings. 
He uses what we can do. He uses what we have. He uses, he uses what we can do with abilities and talents. He uses our hearts. He uses our songs. He uses our music, musical abilities. He uses our sermons. He uses books. He uses art. He also uses things like construction. He uses conversation. He uses relationships. Every single one of us in this room want to have a successful life. Every one of us in this room want to do something great with our life. But I've found out that a successful life doesn't accidentally happen. So we have to live our life on purpose. Just recently, I was, I was kind of just doing this study. And we, I've done funerals. Pastor Bob has done funerals before. And you, you go to that cemetery and, and, and they, they spend tons of money on these headstones. And they may put a picture, but there's, there's always this, this, this common factor on a headstone. And that's, that's, that there's a date that they were born and the date that they died. And you have to understand that your life is not defined by how you were born or where you were born or when you were born. Sometimes how you die may, may have a little bit to do with your story, but ultimately that's not who you are. So it really has nothing to do with the day you were born or the day that you died, but it has everything to do with your the dash between the two dates because that dash completely defines your life. And what you do in your life from the day that you were born to the day that you die is what matters the most. So what will your dash say? What will your dash mean? What will, what will the preacher, will he have to lie? I always say it this way. I know when the pastor, either number one, doesn't want to tell the truth or didn't know the person when he stands up and says, so-and-so was a great person. Tell the truth. What did they do with their life that God gave them? What did they do with the moments of breath? What did they do with the time? What did they do with the energy and the ability? What did they do with the ability to walk and to breathe and to think and to speak and to, to, to draw and to work? What did they do with those moments? And then I come across stories like, see, back in the, the old days, there were these missionaries, and they were called one-way missionaries. I don't know if you've ever heard that terminology, but one-way missionaries. And the reason they called them one-way missionaries is because they didn't come back every three years to kind of talk the churches back into supporting them. <laughs> one-way missionaries would do one thing. They would sell everything they had, and they would buy two things, a one-way ticket to wherever God was calling them to and a casket. And the reason they would buy a casket because they knew beyond a shadow of a doubt whether it be martyred or by they lived their entire life there, they would go to that nation and they would go to those people to spend the rest of their life on this earth there. And so they would pack up this casket with all the things that they needed and they would get on that, that, that boat or that train and they would go to that place. And I heard a story by, about a, a missionary who was one of these one-way missionaries and he was called to a tribe of headhunters in the New Hebrides. And every other missionary that had ever went there had been, had been martyred. But he didn't stop him. And he packed up his casket and he loaded it up. And he went. And instead of being killed, he found favor. And for 35 years, he lived amongst them. He ministered amongst them. And many people were saved. Upon his death, pastor, they put a headstone. Not him. 
But the people that he came to minister to, the people that had been changed, and on the headstone it said this, before he came there was no light, before he left there was no darkness. What will be said with your life? And I've found out what, what will be said about your life is what you will be, will be determined by what you do with your life. But it's not just about what we do with our life. It's about who controls our life. Recently, I was doing this sermon on, on life. And so I, I was studying and we were, we were going through a really tough time with my bride. Physically, she was having a lot of things and the doctors couldn't find out what was going on. And they were suggesting things. And I hate suggestions. I hate assumptions. If you don't know, don't act like you know. And these doctors were saying, wait, maybe it's stage three, maybe stage four cancer. Thank God, none of those things happened. But they put those thoughts in them, and when you have those thoughts, guess what? Those thoughts are seeds, and they grow like crazy. And I was in New Mexico preaching at a camp just this summer, and and they had said, hey, listen, we're going to have you do an MRI because we think that you have either stage three or stage four cancer. And we believe that if it is this, that you're so far past surgery or any type of treatment, but we need to figure out what it is. And I'm in New Mexico, and she's in Colorado, and I'm freaking out. And I go up to this mountain, and I just grab a hold of God, and, and God starts putting these, this, this idea of, what did you do with your life, Jamie? Who controls your life? Whose hand is your life in? And so I started studying, and I came across this poem called, It Depends on Whose Hand It's In. It depends on whose hands it's in, and I changed it just to kind of make it a little bit better, and just a little more modern. But think about this. A basketball in my hands is worth about $30, but a basketball, the same basketball in the hands of a man by the name of LeBron James is worth about $90 million. It depends on whose hands it's in. A a football in my hands does not create much of excitement, but the very same football in the hands of a man by the name of Peyton Manning, don't get bitter. (laughs) Get better, don't get bitter. The same football created one of the greatest all-time quarterbacks in the history of the game. It depends on whose hands it's in. See, a paintbrush in my hands, it will will make, make nothing but a mess. But the same paintbrush in the hand of a man by the name of Picasso painted masterpieces. It depends on whose hands it's in. See, a rod in my hand is nothing more than a stick, but a rod in the hands of a man named Moses parted a mighty sea. It depends on whose hands it's in. A slingshot in my hands is dangerous. But a slingshot in the hands of a 17-year-old kid that was anointed to be king slayed a giant that was stopping the people of God. It depends on whose hands it's in. See, two fish and five loaves in my hands makes a few fish sandwiches, but two fish and five loaves in the hands of God fed thousands. It depends on whose hands it's in. Dirt and spit in the hands of Jesus is, it caused a blind man to see. Dirt and spit in my hands is disgusting. It depends on whose hands it's in. Two nails in my hands may produce a box, but two nails in his hands produce salvation for everyone who would be willing to ask. It depends on whose hands it's in. So put your concerns, your worries, your fears, your dreams, your hopes, your futures, your families, your past, your present, and your futures in his hands because nothing is impossible with God. So whose hand is your life in? When are we going to stop letting God borrow our life and actually have our life? 
I want to talk to you on this subject. And, and the, the, the students maybe at a past be the light function it may, have, may have heard parts of this. But I want to preach to you a message called something to give. And this has nothing to do with money. See, when Jesus is in control of your life, He's in control of everything in your life. When I say give, what comes to your mind? Money? Today I'm going to try and change your perspective on giving and I want to place before each of you an idea that I'm going to ask you to not just consider, but to either reject or to embrace. And that saying is this, your entire life's success will be determined by whether or not you're a giver. Let me say it again. Your entire life's success, every aspect of your life, will be determined by whether or not you are a giver. So what is a giver? A giver is one who transfers from one's authority or custody to another as their possession. To give means to relinquish control, exchange ownership, or to let go. I've found out that there's a couple of rules when it comes to giving. Number one is you cannot give something that's not yours. That's called stealing. You cannot give something that's not in your possession. You cannot give something that's not yours to give. Number two, you will only give what you're willing to give. You will never give something that you're unwilling to lose. And the third rule is this. You can truly only give away something once. Why? Because if you give it away, give means to relinquish control, to let go. And if we, if we truly give, then it's no longer ours. But if we let God borrow our life, then that's when we can take it back. Let me, let me ask you this question. How many times do we got to keep on coming to the same altars asking God to take the same things? How many times do we got to keep on repeating the same sinner prayer, saying, God, here's my life, but yet just a few months later, we're found giving him the same life? So that's not give, because give means to relinquish control. A giver means someone that exchanged ownership, that it's no longer me. That's why the scripture comes in and it says, I no longer live, but Christ lives in and through me. The old man is dead and gone. Behold, the new man comes forth. Let me explain. When we give our lives to Jesus, when we give our past to Jesus, when we give our pain, our hurt, our sicknesses, our fears, our diseases to Jesus, let me explain something. It's now his and he has full right to do what he wants and he doesn't need to ask our permission. Why? Because you, you don't ask dead people things. Right? Dead men have no rights. Go to a funeral. When was the last time a person in the coffin sat up and said, this is way too long? <laughs> I didn't like this suit when I was alive, let alone when I'm dead. And you're going to make me in this? No. They don't complain. Why dead men don't complain? So I found out if you find a person complaining, it's a person that's living. We have resurrections on a regular basis. Right? We need to allow God to have our lives. To own our lives. Because I found out God will never feel something that's not His. God doesn't borrow tools. He uses what He has. And I found out He'll make work what He has. If he needs a hammer and he doesn't have a hammer, but he has a set of of side cutters, he'll use the side cutters to hit some things because of the fact he needs a hammer, but the hammer has relinquished control of the life. I'll use what I have. I wonder how many people in this room God's needing to use, wanting to use, has a plan to use. Yes, God doesn't need us. God wants us. 
I wonder how many people that God has a plan for in this room. But maybe we haven't completely surrendered everything. I, there's a guy that shows up at my house, and many of you probably have a similar person, if you will, that shows up at your house. He shows up at my house every Monday morning. I give him a little bit of money, and he does me a huge favor. On Monday morning, he shows up between 7 a.m. and 9 a.m. So tomorrow, even though I'm not there, he'll be there. And he shows up between 7 and 9, and I have to do something in, in, to prepare for his, his coming. And I have to do something earlier than before he gets there. I can't wait, because if I wait, I'm going to miss it. And so what happens is, is I live however I want all week long. I drink what I want. I eat what I want. I I do what I want. But then when I'm done doing those things, I take it to this little plastic container and I put it in this little plastic bag. And then when it starts getting full, it starts stinking or I'm done with it. I begin to close it up. I tie it up and I take it to another container outside. And then on Monday morning between 6 and 6.30, I roll this little dumpster out to the corner and a man by the name of Trash man comes and takes my garbage. How many times do we treat Jesus like our trash man? Once a week, we take the things that we don't want. We bring Jesus our sin, our shame, our guilt, and we roll it out to the curb on a Sunday morning. We drop a little bit of money into the offering and say, Jesus, here you go. Here's the things I don't want. But let me explain something. Jesus didn't die to be your trash man. Jesus died to be your Lord and your Savior. He doesn't just want the things you don't want. He wants the things you do want. He wants your future. He wants your life. So let's get into this a little bit further. Open in your Bibles with me to Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12. We're going to read in verses 41 through 44. And we're going to go through a little bit of scripture in the next just few moments. Mark 12. 41 through 44. Let's, let's, let's get in a little bit further into this giving thing. And we're not talking about money. Remember that. It says, in verses 41 of Mark chapter 12, it says, Jesus sat down opposite of the place where the offerings were, be, were being put and watched the crowd. That's awkward. I don't know about anybody in this room. But could you imagine pastor passing the bucket and he walked in front of you and says, I know what you make. That's not 10%. Keep coming. Keep coming. Could you imagine Jesus? He, like offerings right there. Jesus comes and sits right here. And he's watching them. I think we've forgotten that Jesus sees what we're doing. He has the perfect seat in order to see exactly what we're doing. It says Jesus sat down opposite of the place where the offerings were being put. And he watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people came and threw large amounts. But a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only of a fraction of a penny, calling the disciples to him. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, the poor widow has put more into the temple treasury than all of the others. They gave out of their wealth, but she out of her poverty put in everything, all that she had. I see three truths about this giving in the story of the widow's offering. Number one, write this down. God values our giving differently than men do. 
God values our giving differently than men do. See, in God's eyes, the value of giving is not determined by the amount of what is being offered. The text says that the wealthy came and gave large amounts. But the widow's offering was of much higher value because she gave all that she had. It was a costly sacrifice. Notice this. When she gave, Jesus said, he says she gave more than all of the others, not just any. He put all of their, the large amounts, he put it all together and he says today she gave, even though it was just two small copper coins that are, seem worthless in man's eyes, that seem worthless. You can't do much with two copper coins. It's less, it's less than a penny. And he says she gave more than all. Why? Because she gave everything. Can I tell you, when we give everything to God, it's more than when we're holding back. See, I've found out next to nothing in God's hands is better than something in man's hands. She gave everything. Why? Because God values our giving differently than men do. Number two is this. Our giving is what our attitude in giving is what is most important to God. Our attitude in giving is what is most important to God. See, the scripture says that Jesus watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Jesus observed the people as they gave their offerings and he watches us today as we give. If we give to be seen by men, our offering loses its value. Verse 41 says this. It further indicates this. It says that they threw their offerings. They threw in their offerings, further indicating that they gave carelessly and without thought. But the widow came and carefully Put in her offerings. Watch this for a moment. I learned two things about just how they gave, how they gave, their attitude in giving. It says that they came and they threw their offerings. Two things I found out. Number one, you don't throw things that are precious. You don't throw things that are precious to you. And number two, you don't throw things at things that are precious to you. They threw their offerings, and so therefore, not only were they disrespecting and dishonoring what they were giving, but they also were dishonoring what they were giving to. We've got to be careful that we understand everything that we do is to honor God, is to glorify God. I love what the scripture says. It says, take your everyday, ordinary life, place it before God as a living sacrifice. It goes on. If you go into a little bit more depth, it says, take your eating, your drinking, your sleeping, your going around, your working, and place it before God. You Students, can I just ruin you for a moment? The next time you turn in homework... No more excuses. What you're really saying to that teacher and everyone around you, Jesus, this is what you're worth to me. Everything we do, when we show up at work five minutes late with excuses, God, this is what you're worth to me. When we, when we, when we treat our houses and it's, leave, it's left dirty, I'm not talking about you have to clean all the time and be some OCD person. I'm talking about how we care for things, how we treat people constantly. Let me explain something. It's telling the world and it's telling God, this is what you're worth. I found out until we understand and respect what we have, God will never give us more. I'm not talking about money. I'm talking about opportunity. Why would God allow you opportunity to speak into somebody else's life when the people we tr- around us we treat like mess? You know why I talked to that waitress? Because I was sitting with five ministers that were demanding this little girl and talking like, like, hey, listen, we're ready to order. Hey, hey are you going to take our drink orders? Hey, And I just looked at him and I'm like, are you kidding me? 
And I looked at this little girl and I said, you know what, listen, I got 20 bucks for you if you'll come and just spend two minutes with me because your time is valuable to me. And I, God used a $20 bill. And I said, let me, and I'll go into further detail, but I looked at this young lady and I said, you know, currency is, you know, you have ones, twos, twos are rare, but then you have fives and then you have, you have, you have tens and twenties and fifties and hundreds. I said, I said, let me ask you a question on all the wrong things that you've done and maybe all the right things that you've done. What value do you place on yourself? And she looked at me and she goes, I'm a $2 bill. And I said, so you're, you're, you're rare, but you're kind of worthless. Can't buy much with the $2 bill. And she starts weeping. And I said, I want you to understand, and on the back of that $20 bill, I wrote the words, you are valuable no matter what. And I looked at her, and I said, every time you look at money from this moment on, I want you to understand something. You have great worth. You know why? Because money does not lose its value based on what it's done or where it's been and who it's been involved with. Money always has its value. It holds its value because there's somebody that created it to be valuable. And I said, so therefore, if money, if money, if money holds its value, how much more do you? And I said, I want you to understand you're better than two dollars. God sees how we give. God sees. I think, let me, let me just be honest. The greatest invitation to church should never be a handout. It should never be a flyer. It, you, you're, you shouldn't even have to come invite people to church. They should see your life. They should see your marriages. They should see who you are and how you act and be so envious and so jealous that they spiritually stalk you here. That they follow you. Your neighbors go, man, wait, I want a marriage like that. What are they doing? They can't be like that all the time. I'm going to follow them. And they walk into church and they go, oh, there's something different about them. Our attitude in giving is what matters most to God. See, God values our giving differently than men do. But our attitude, our attitude in giving, I love what it says. This little woman comes and she puts her offering in. See, Jesus is more interested and impressed by how we give than what we give. And the third point in this is this. God cares about how much we give. Can I be honest? Now, now I'm not saying this to be... I, I kind of have a, a, a platform because one of the things that the Assemblies of God, when they recently con- contacted us, was to inform the churches. Just, just speak truthfully to churches. Imagine going to work tomorrow... Imagine going to work. Anybody have a job in this place? Raise your hand if you have a job. God, I'm thankful for jobs, right? You have a job. Imagine going to work tomorrow and your boss pulls you into his office and says, Hey, listen, I know that you're on salary. I know you get paid a certain amount an hour. We're going to disregard that today. and We're going to see how good you work. At the end of the day, I'm going to figure out how much I think you're worth and I'm going to give you that amount. We good? Welcome to every missionary in my life. Right? Our value is not set on what we do. Watch what I'm about to say. God cares about how much we give. Jesus not only observed their giving and how they gave, but he observed what they gave. And the rich people gave, came along and some of them put in rather large sums of money. And as they did this, they didn't say a word. Or he didn't say a word. He just kept watching. And along came this little widow. Imagine this. This little widow comes in and she drops these two mites. And all of a sudden, Jesus stands up and he says, Andrew, Peter, John, come here, come here, come here, come here. Did you just see that? Did, did you just see that? 
And they were like, yeah, did you see that guy? He had like seven servants that carried bags of silver and they just threw it and silver scattered everywhere. Did you see that other guy? He had like a 40 carat ruby on his finger and he came and he just chucked it. Did you see that other guy? He looked like he'd been carrying gold for miles and he came and he just threw it down on the ground and he looked exhausted. Did you see that? And Jesus goes, no. Did you see her? And they were like, you mean that servant? I thought she was cleaning. I thought she was the maid of the house. I didn't, she didn't look like she was under stress. She didn't look like, she looked kind of like she was trying to go unnoticed. She looked like she was trying to be unseen, that she was trying to hide in the shadow. She did it quickly and then she left. What did she give, Jesus? Was it like some huge, priceless diamond? What did she give? Because it couldn't have been much. And Jesus said she gave more than all of them. What did she give? What did she give? She only gave two coins that were worth less than a penny. But she gave more. Well, how is that worth more? Well, Jesus, this is in Mark chapter 12. Jesus is teaching them a lesson because they had saw previous in Mark chapter 10, a rich young ruler that came running after Jesus. And all of a sudden he bows down and he says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? A man that comes running after Jesus, grabs a hold of him and says, Jesus, what do I, must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus stops him and he tries to introduce himself. He says, excuse me, why do you call me good? No one's good except for God. So I, I'm, I'm God, not me. Okay, I'm just kind of reenacting, okay? So don't, don't do that. I don't want to lose credentials. Like Jamie says, he's God. Not at all. Ask my bride. <laughs> he says, no one's good except for God. He's asking about how to get into heaven. He says, no one's good but God. And he's trying to introduce himself. He's trying to have this relationship opportunity. He's, no one can come to the Father except through me. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I'm the door. He's trying to say, hey, listen, here it is. Here's the passage. You want it? Here you go. And the man, if you read the story, he t- totally disregards that. And he says, okay, teacher, what? He takes good out. He didn't recognize Jesus as God. He recognized him as a good teacher that had somebody something good to say, some good advice. Some of us still think Jesus is a great teacher, but we don't realize that he's our Savior and our Lord and our God. Watch. Another man that knew Jesus as a teacher, but didn't know him as a Savior and a Lord. His name was Judas. Remember, they're going around the table. Jesus said, there's someone sits around this table that's going to deny me or that's going to betray me. And they go around the table. Peter says, is it I, Lord? Andrew, is it I, Lord? James, is it I, Lord? John, is it I, Lord? And all of a sudden he gets to Judas and he says, is it I, Rabbi? He exposed him out of the abundance of the heart. The mouth speaks. So watch this for a moment. His disciples are watching this whole situation take place in, in just days before the widow's giving. And this man wants to inherit eternal life. And Jesus says, do all the things. You know the commandments. Honor your father and mother. Do not lie. Do not kill. Do not disrespect. Do all these things. And all of a sudden he says, all these things I've kept since I was a youth. And Jesus says, but one thing you lack, go sell everything you have and give it to the poor. God wasn't even asking for it. He just wanted this man's life. And Jesus says that this guy got up. 
And his, his face fell because he was a man of great wealth. And he walked away from Jesus. Watch this. These men had an encounter with somebody, had the opportunity to give everything, and, they, and he didn't. And watch this. At one time, he's running after Jesus, and now he's found walking away from him. Why? Because he wasn't willing to pay the price and give everything. And now, all of a sudden, this little widow, and she didn't have much to give, but she gave everything. And Jesus was using that as a teaching to these disciples, saying, listen, that's what it's going to take. To change the world, that's what it's going to take. You're going to have to give everything. You're going to have to give your emotions. You're going to have to give your time, your energy. You're going to have to give possibly your life. And it may seem small in everyone else's eyes, but in my hands, it's big. Warren Warren Wiersbe says it this way. He says that when it comes to our giving... Man sees what is given, but God sees what's left. And by that, he measures the gift and the condition of the heart. We have no evidence that this woman ever became rich. She could have starved to death. She didn't have nothing to eat. And it never says whether or not she knew what Jesus thought of her giving. But could you imagine when she stepped foot into heaven? And Jesus says, hey, hey, come here. i got to give you something. This is all yours. God, I don't deserve it. No, I know you don't deserve it, but you actually gave me everything. So I'm going to give you everything because I saw what you gave. There's only two words I want to hear out of the mouth of God. Not that I earn it, not that I deserve it, but only two words. Well done. Well done. So watch this. We're going to go somewhere really quick. You ready for this? Flip with me to Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5. And I promise you, if you'll hear what I have to say in the next few minutes, you're going to say, what does this have to do with evangelism? It has everything to do with evangelism. What does this have to do with a revival? It has everything to do with a revival. What does this have to do with you? It has everything to do with you. Watch this. Jesus is in Mark chapter 4 talking about a little history lesson. He's talking about giving. He's talking about sowing. No one sows a seed on accident. Nobody lights a lamp and then covers it up. Everything's done on purpose. He talks about seed falling on right soil. It falls in other places, but it falls in the right places and it begins to produce. In the middle of him teaching, he stops and all of a sudden he says, that boat, we need to get in that boat and we need to go to the other side. We read about in the closing chapter of Mark chapter 4 that they get in this boat. Row, row, row your boat gently down the stream. Merrily, merrily, merrily. We just hang with the king. And all of a sudden, there comes this storm and Jesus is asleep at the bow of the boat. One translation says that he's asleep on a comfortable pillow. I remember going through a really hard time and going, God, it feels like you're comforted by my misery. And he says, I'm most comfortable when you're uncomfortable. And the disciples saw Jesus sleeping on the boat and the wind and the waves were coming in and they thought they were going to die and they wake up Jesus and they said, don't you care that we're going to perish? And Jesus wakes up and he calms a storm. How many times do we go through hard times and we think God's not even paying attention? That God's asleep on the job? Let me explain something. How could God sleep? Watch. How could God not care? Well, number one, Jesus never lied. He's not man that he should lie. So when he said, let's get into the boat and let's go to the other side, whether they swam, whether they floated, or whether they walked on water, they were going to the other side. That was a promise. The disciples lost the promise because of the storm. 
But what you don't understand is if you went to Israel right now, went to Israel right now and said, take me to the, to, to the tombs of, of Gadara. Take me where the demoniac of the Gadareans was. They're going to take you to this beautiful national park, but it does not fit the description in the, in the Bible where it says that there were cliffs and pigs ran after they were filled with demons. They ran in, off the cliffs and into the water. It's not that thing. It's literally just like smooth ground that goes from the, the, the they think a cemetery goes right into the water. They didn't run off cliffs. But if you, and that's what tourists have made this place. But if you go to the theologians, the people that have studied it, they'll take you to a campsite and it's surrounded by cliffs. And the reason that the tourism says, listen, this can't be the place is because there's nowhere to dock a boat except for one little channel. If the water is down right and the, because of tide and, and, and if it was positioned right, it's a little cove that you can dock, you can dock a boat in. But watch this. That's what's so exciting. You ready? Jesus gets in the boat. They start going. They have no way to manipulate. There's no motor to try to move a boat. This, this particular cove, if, it was, if you were to try to manipulate a boat to get into this cove from where Jesus was coming from, it's 270 degrees out of. So they would have had to go and they would have had to turn it in the dark. Impossible. But the storm, the wind, and the waves can maneuver that boat in such a way that when Jesus stands up and he says, peace be still, all of a sudden it's calm, they go straight into the cove. Why? Because God has everything planned out. You think you're going, what you're going through? God's trying to destroy you. No, God's trying to position you. And it's not just for you. It's for a lot of other people around you. The last time we need, we need to stop preaching. If we were the only ones, Jesus would die for us. Let me explain. We're not. We're not God's favorites. We're all God's favorites. So all of a sudden, Jesus gets out of the boat and this demoniac comes. Well, number one, two things actually occurred. He didn't just speak to the wind and the waves. He spoke to demons. And when he spoke, he said, peace be still. Why would a man that could break chains and could not be covered with clothes all of a sudden run to Jesus? Why? Because peace had showed up. So a man that could not be content, controlled or tamed at one time is now found feet, uh, at the feet of Jesus before Jesus even cast out the demons. Why? Because the King of kings and the Lord of lords showed up on that shore and demons said, wait a second, we have no control here. Jesus doesn't just speak to the wind and the waves. He's speaking to the, to the, the atmospheres. He's speaking to the demonic. He's speaking to the, 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 the physical forces in high places. All of a sudden, this demoniac comes and he falls down on his feet. Go read Mark chapter 5. And it says that he would cut himself night and day crying out for someone to save him. Jesus casts out the demons. He sets him free, clothes him. And all of a sudden, the people of the city beg Jesus to leave. Get out of our city. Get out of our city. Get out of our city. Jesus gets back in the boat. Demoniac goes to step in the boat. And Jesus says, no, no, no. I need you to stay here. I need you to go back home and tell everyone what I did for you. And the man said, okay, I'll I'll be back, but go prepare the people. The demoniac leaves. And he goes, and Jesus goes to his hometown, and he goes to these different places in Mark chapter, the closing chapters of Mark 5, and then into chapter 6. He goes to these places, and John the Baptist dies, and he goes through a lot of different crazy stuff. But all of a sudden, he's tired, he's weary, the disciples are hungry, and they, they, they're, they're wanting to get Jesus to a place of rest. And all of a sudden, they get him in the boat, and they go back to where the demoniac once was. They step out of the boat, but it's not just one person. 
There's thousands of people, and Jesus goes into teaching mode. Because even in, on vacation, Jesus reached people. He steps out of the boat, goes teaching. The disciples come to him and say, Jesus, wait a second. These people have, are, are in the middle of nowhere. There's no McDonald's. There's no Taco Bell. There's no Dairy Queen. What are we going to do? And watch what takes place. I'm going to have you flip over just one more page, just for time's sake, to Mark chapter 6. The disciples are hungry. They're tired. They realize that there's thousands of people that need to eat. And so they're giving God some advice. Watch this. Mark chapter 6, verses 35 through 44. It says, By this time it was late in the day. So the disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place, they said, and it is already very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, listen to these words, You give them something to eat. You give them something. They said that would take more than a half year's wages. But we are we to go and buy that, spend that much money on bread and then give it to them to eat? And he said, no. What? How many loaves do you have? He asked, go and see. When they found out, they said, we have five loaves and two fish. Skipping down a couple verses, it says, then taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up towards heaven, he gave thanks for the broke, uh, gave thanks and broke the bread. Then he gave it to his disciples to distribute to the people. And also, he also divided out the two fish amongst them and they all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 baskets full of broken pieces of bread and fish and the number of men, everybody say men. The number of men who had eaten was 5,000. I gotta close this down. Give me three minutes and I'm gonna have you on the altars. You ready for this? Number one, God's not interested in what you can't have or can't do and what you don't have. He's interested in what you do have and what you will allow Him to do through you. Instantly, they were trying to figure it out. How are we supposed to do this? Are we supposed to spend that much money? And Jesus said, No! Do you not realize who I am? Do you not realize what I can do with these hands? What do you have? What's in your possession? What's in your, in, your, in your hands? What's in your abilities? I need that. And they said, we have five loaves and two fish, a kid's happy meal, a kid's sack lunch. But how can such small go to such big? How can so few feed so many? See, five loaves and two fish, a very insufficient supply from a very insignificant source. A small lunch from a small boy. Remember that. We know that the small boy gave his sack lunch to Jesus. How many other people in that crowd had food but did not share? You think one little boy out of, because there were between twelve and 20,000 people, only 5,000 men, but every man probably had a bride or a girlfriend or something, and then they had kids. So there was between twelve and 20,000 people. You mean to tell me only one Snackable? <laughs> no, there were some other people going, I ain't sharing. I ain't giving this away. This is what I need. And a little boy says, I, 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 I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. I, I don't mean, but you can have my lunch. It's five loaves and two fish. And we know that a little boy gave his sack lunch, but watch this. But the miracle didn't start in a field when a little boy gave his sack lunch. You know where the miracle started? In a kitchen with a mama that prepared a little lunch for a little boy. Watch this for a moment. A mama 
taught her son how to share. Taught her son. Listen, there may be somebody that's around you that doesn't have anything, but I need you to give what you have because I'll make more for you. You've got to understand, five loaves of bread and two fish is a big lunch for a little boy. But not for a little boy that's been taught how to share. Not for a little boy that's taught how to give. Son, And so this mama was just serving her family, never knowing that God was going to use her love and her concern and her care for her little boy and for her loved ones to ultimately feed and rescue and help his loved ones. So she's serving faithfully. A mom in a kitchen hands it to a little boy. A little boy takes his lunch. He goes to see and hear this Jesus that everybody's talking about. And what started out an ordinary day became an extraordinary opportunity. Why? Because this mama and this boy taught how to give. And they gave everything they had. And they placed it in the hands of God. But I'm going to give you quickly just a couple of points. Watch this. Number one. Write this down. It's going to change your life. I promise you. The first thing that I saw is this. God cannot multiply things that we don't recognize. The disciples didn't recognize what they had. And Jesus had to bring them back to earth. He says, what do you have? They said, we have five loaves and two fish. Now watch. What you have matters, but what you give is what changes things. Point number two. God cannot multiply things in our lives until those things are in his hands. It would have been two fish and five loaves in the boy's hands. It would have been two fish and five loaves in the disciples' hands. But two fish and five loaves in the hands of God instantly were broken and they became four fish and ten loaves. Why? Because let me explain something. Whatever Jesus has, he first blesses and then he breaks. God will never use you unless he's broke you. Isn't that what the Bible says? Isn't it that it tells us that whoever falls upon him will be... But in order for anything to be multiplied, it first must be blessed and then broken. But here's my last point, and I'm going to close this down. And if I can get you on the piano, where's my friend at that plays the piano? Somebody, if, yeah, there you go. Watch this. Watch this. Everybody look at me. God uses what man doesn't even acknowledge. That's why you're here. You hear me, my friend? I failed speech in the 10th grade, but teacher told me, listen, if anything to have to do with public speaking is in your future career, find something else to do. <laughs> I was a drug dealer at the age of 11. God uses what man doesn't even acknowledge. What are you talking about? How many people were fed that day? Does it say in the scripture? 5,000 what? What? Men. Men. But the miracle didn't come from the men. It came from a boy and a woman. Maybe you're in this room and you've never been acknowledged by man that God could ever use you. God can use you, my friend. He can use you in ways that you never thought possible. What man overlooks, what man doesn't even acknowledge, in my hands. But it's worthless. There's only two mites. The miracle came from a woman and a boy. And they're not even acknowledged in the pages. But wait a second, wait a second. Let's go back even a step further. The miracle didn't take place in the field. It didn't take place in the kitchen. It took place on the opposite side. Watch this. 
where a demoniac got set free. Because you know who gathered this crowd? A man that was once kicked out by a city and sent to the cemetery to die and disappear. They would rather hear squilling pigs than a man crying out for help. He's the one who gathered the crowd. Study it. The demoniac went and told and shared everything that Jesus had done with him, for him with everyone he lived amongst. And all of a sudden there begins to be this stir and they hear that Jesus had come back and thousands of people come running to find out, to see the man that had set this man free, to do what no man could do. But wait a second. The miracle didn't start in the field. It didn't start in a kitchen. It didn't start in a cemetery. The truest miracle, now watch this, started on the other side of the sea when Jesus was teaching about giving and somebody was just sitting there overhearing it, not even one of the disciples. And Jesus says, I need that boat. And a fisherman said, hey, Jesus, you can have my boat. I may not be able to go with you, but you can have my boat. Who bought the boat that Jesus needed that rescued a demoniac that led to thousands of people getting touched never says but can you imagine that day when he stands in heaven and thousands and thousands even people in this crowd are going to be able to walk up to him and say hey listen because you gave a boat I'm here I've done my calculation and I know I've preached long but I'm going to go sit in a home by myself so I might as well stand up and preach for a little bit longer watch this I've done my calculation. One man that gave a boat, Jesus, 12 disciples, a demoniac, a little boy, and a mom counts out to 17 people. 17 people God used to reach and rescue between 12 and 20,000. All because they were willing to give. They gave different things. But they gave everything they had. What will we do? Let me say that statement one more time. Your entire life success will be determined by whether or not you're a giver. You show me a good marriage and I'll show you two people that have given everything they have. You show me a good parent, I'll show you a person that has given everything they have. You want to see a person that is going to grow and, and, and rise in their workplace? A person that gave everything they have. A person that's well-educated gave everything they have. A man or a woman of God, to be used greatly by God, gave everything that they had. I double dog, I triple dog, will barrel dare you to get in giving war with God. You will lose. All over this place, I want you to stand to your feet. I know Pastor said something about an offering, and we'll worry about that in, in, in just a bit, but I'm more worried about the offering that's about to be taken. And this has nothing to do with money. This has everything to do with your life. Whose life will your, whose hands will your life be in at the end of this day? Is it still going to be in your control or is it going to be in His control? Are your worries your problems? Are you going to just let God borrow your problems and borrow your sin? Are you going to just take out the garbage to Him today? Are you going to go put yourself in it and say, God, if you can use me, here's me. With your eyes closed all over this place. I'm going to open up these altars. I know what time it is. But I promise I'm away from my family for a reason. And if it's one person that gets radically right with God, if it's one person that surrenders everything that they are and everything they have to Jesus, it's well worth it. 
but it's going to be a waste of time if everybody just goes, man, that was a great sermon. I'm going to go get me something to eat. With your eyes closed. Father, I preached what you told me to preach. I did what you told me to do. I said what you told me to say. But I can't change anybody's life. This is where I step out of the way. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would begin to sweep through these aisles, that you would begin to sweep through these rows, and that you would begin to knock on the doors of hearts. There's people that feel inadequate. There's people that feel like there's no way they can do anything for you. There's people in this room that feel like what they have to offer ain't much. But God, if you can feed 20,000 people with five loaves of bread and two fish, God, what can you do with their lives? How are you wanting to minister to doctors because you heal their bodies? What friends and families do you want to minister to because their lives are changed? But it starts out with us placing our life in your hand. Father, knock on the doors of hearts right now. If you're in this room with your eyes closed, and you know beyond a shadow of a doubt, your life is not in the hands of God. Maybe it's been there, but you've taken it back. You've never truly given it to him. And today you're saying, you know what? No more games. I'm going to give Jesus my life, not just my sin. Not messing around anymore. Everything that I am, all that I have is now going to be his. If that's you and you're ready to give your life to Jesus, whether you never have or you once did, and you took it back, I want you to raise your hands all over this place. You're giving your life. I see hands. I see hands. I see hands. I see hands. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you, sir. Thank you, ma'am. Anybody else? Thank you, ma'am. Anybody else? Anybody else? Don't miss this opportunity. There's an offering. God has his hands out right now and he's looking into your hearts. He knows where you're at. Are you his? Anybody else? Anybody else? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Anybody else? Anybody else? Everything I am, everything that I have is yours. So this is where it gets awkward. Thank you for raising your hands. But this is where you come and put yourself. You lay yourself down. You don't throw yourself. You lay yourself down. This is where you come and walk like that woman did. And you come and place who you are and what you are. And you lay it down and say, God, here's my offering. If you raise your hand, I'm going to ask you to right now leave your seats. And I'm going to ask you to come and stand here at this altar with me. Come on. You raised your hand. Thank you for taking that first step, ma'am. Anybody else? Thank you. Thank you. You raised your hand. Don't worry about what anybody else thinks. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I know there were a couple more hands. But I will not manipulate. I will not try to force you. And I will not try to embarrass you. Anybody else? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. God, I worship you. God, I worship you. Everything I am for all that you are. If you're in this room and you say, Jamie, I've already given my life, but I want to just remind myself that there's no going back and I want to see God pour out revival in my home and in my heart and in my family and my city. I want to see him move and I want him to use me to do it. If you're in this church and you just simply say, I'm just re 
reminding and recommitting myself that I've already given it all, but I'm, I'd be willing to do it all over again. And you're in your seat and you just want to come up here and pray and just spend time standing in the presence of God. I want you to leave your seats right now. Come on. Come on. This is where the altar call is. There's not going to be another one. So either you're going to be up here or you're going to be in your seats. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. And the reason I only brought a a, a piano is because, listen, I just want you, I want the atmosphere to be filled with your prayer. If I can get a couple men and women of God to come and stand with those that came forward, Pastor, if you can help me, those that came forward, just to pray with them. Just encourage them, but all over this house, all over this house, all over this room, Can we just spend some time with Jesus? Can we just pray and say, God, everything that I have, everything that I am, it's yours, it's yours, it's yours, it's yours. Not just the sin, but my hopes, my dreams, my wants, my needs, everything, my workplace, my family, my marriage, my kids. It's yours. Come on, all of this place, just begin to pray. It doesn't have to be loud. It doesn't have to be a scream, but it definitely has to be at least a whisper. Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, let this be the day where things shift in marriages. Let this be the day, Father, where everything begins to change. Let this be the day, Father, that they become vessels in your hands, weapons in your hands to destroy and defeat every tactic, every plan of the enemy. I pray a fresh infilling of your Holy Ghost. I pray, Father, that you would feel them so full of you that there's no room left for anything else. God, your hand, your hand, nothing is impossible for your hand. Nothing is impossible with your hands. You can do all things. You can heal the sick. You can raise the dead. God, you can cause there to be something where there was nothing. And you can cause nothing to be where there was once something. Jesus, everything that they are. Everything that they are. Everything that they ever were. Everything that they'll ever be. For your glory, Jesus. For your glory, Jesus. For your glory, Jesus. Lives that are changed. God, there's a lot more than 17 people in this house. So that means that you can reach a lot more than 20,000 people. They can reach a lot more than just a city. They can reach a lot more than just a county. They can reach a lot more than a workplace or a neighborhood or a zip code. They can reach a lot more than just a school. They can reach a lot more than just a name. Jesus, everything that she is. Everything that she is. For all that you are. Overwhelm her. Overwhelm her. Embrace her right now. Embrace her right now. Embrace her right now. God, I pray that you would break the spirit of defeat off of people today. That you would break the spirit of weariness. We are not those who grow weary. We are not of those who shrink back. We're not of those that run away. But God, we are those that stand and move forward. Touch God. Refresh, revive, refill, restrengthen, renew. God, touch bodies right now. 
where they were weary. Where they were weary. Where they were weary. Oh God. A renewed strength. Those that will mount up with wings like eagles. Oh, they'll not grow weary. They'll run and not grow faint. Oh, Holy Spirit. Oh, Holy Spirit. Mount them up today. Those that wait, wait upon you. Those that wait upon you. Thank you for the life that's been changed. Use them in ways that never even imagined or dreamt possible. Thank you for already what you've done. But Lord, would you open up the floodgates of heaven and begin to soak and saturate. And what has taken other people tens and twenty years to do, Lord, let him do within one year. What has taken others years to do, let him do within months. What has taken them months to do, let it be done within days. God, let it be expedited because of his passion and his willingness to just be yours. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Touch bodies, touch hearts, touch homes. Jesus, thank you. Thank you, Lord, for the worshiper that stands before you. Use her in ways that she never thought possible. Oh, Holy Ghost. Holy Ghost, to never be the same, 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 to never be the same. Oh, God. Oh, Holy Ghost. Holy Ghost. Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. 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 Sweetie, do you know that song? You're gonna, will you sing that for us in just a minute? Just a minute. Everybody, look at me just for a moment. I'm going to dismiss you because we have to get ready for tonight. I'm not going to keep you until tonight. But please don't miss tonight. Please don't miss tomorrow. Please don't miss Tuesday. You know why? Because there's people that are They're dying. They're about to perish. A friend of mine was at the school in Oregon. He was a pastor. He was taking some classes there. And I want you to hear the statement out of his mouth. He was there. He was in the... probably about less than 100 yards away from where the active shooter was. And this is his statement. That's how I know the, 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 the true statistics of what really happened in that room, not what was reported. You're never going to get truth reported. He said, Jamie, you know what it was allowing those Christians to die? It was God's grace. Because if anyone else would have died in that room, they would have perished. And he said, you know what? He said there were, I think he said, I think it was nine who were killed, but eight of them in that one particular room. He said, 
He called all the Christians out and then started shooting them. And no one denied it. And I believe with everything inside of me, that was men and women of God that stood in the front because they knew that hopefully he was going to run out of bullets and he would rather have them run out of bullets on them that would give time. Not one of them shrunk back. And they put their life as a shield to shield those that were lost because they knew there was one person that said it. That if they wouldn't have died, they wouldn't have been shot. Somebody else that didn't know Jesus would have. And there was no rescue after that. I want you to hear what I'm about to say. This is how good our God is. There were 12 disciples, correct? Men that were hungry, men that were in need. They were given food, bread, and fish. They would have gladly have filled their stomachs with. But they went and they just simply distributed, like Jesus said. They were giving away what they needed themselves. And all of a sudden, everybody had their full, and Jesus sent them back and said, now go collect the pieces that are left. And what did it say? They collected how many baskets? One for each one of them. Not a bite, not a piece, but a basketful. More than enough. I've found out when we give everything we've got, there will always be more than what we need. And I'm not just talking about money, but you can put money right in the middle of that. God needs your talents. I heard this pastor's doing an incredible job. Boy, there were 40 kids here last night. Are you kidding me? Phenomenal. You should be proud of yourself, buddy. But you know why God's going to trust you? Because you were faithful to serve. God's going to give you a basket. He's giving you a school. God's going to bless you because you served faithfully. Most men are like, look at what I did. No, it doesn't surprise me. I've known you a while. To, just like, hey, listen, I got it. That doesn't qualify you. It acknowledges you, but it doesn't qualify you. What qualifies you is what he's done in you and what he's going to continue to do through you. You're going to, God's going to give you a city, buddy, but raise up the 17 that will reach them. But you need some youth leaders, don't you? If you're going to grow this thing, you're going to need some adults that will just love kids. And the youth department is going to need some youth some, some kids, people that will love kids. And the choir is going to need some people. And the, the musicians and the ushers and deacons. Listen, we want a revival, but are we willing to serve that revival when it comes? It's going to take us giving our talents. It's going to take us giving our time. It's going to take grandma's cooking cookies and making pies and, and doing things. Why? Because it takes the entire body of Christ to give and to do and to serve what God's going to do. God wants to pour out revival. The reason he hasn't is because maybe we haven't prepared ourselves and make ready for his return. Father, there are people in this room all at different places in their walk with you. All of them are at different levels in their journey. But it's all level ground at the cross. 
bring us back to the cross. Where we forget about how long we've been serving you. And we just remember how great it is to serve you. I pray, Father, that you would entrust this church with more people. And Father, those that are in this church that are not doing anything, may they start doing something. But Lord, I pray that it would be a nightmare for parking. I pray, Father, that people would come in expecting to sit in their own seat, their their reserved pew, and it's not going to be theirs anymore because there's going to be a bunch of people that are brand new sitting in it. I pray, Father, that there's going to be a line at the bathrooms. I thank you for the 4,000 square foot addition for people to meet. But Lord, I pray that they have to stand outside even if it's snowing because there's not enough room. Trust this church. I pray, Father, that you would allow pastor to pastor to his ability that you placed inside of him. And he's not a pastor of tens. He's not a pastor of fifties or hundreds. He's a pastor of thousands. God, explode. The young adults, the children, the youth, the women's, the men's. As people give everything, as they release what's in their hands, would you release what's in yours? Seal what you've done. But this is just the beginning. In Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. Pastor, I love you.